Trump versus New York. Nope, not a Godzilla movie. This is the Supreme Court case using illegal immigrants to divvy up representation in the House of Representatives. Hans von Spakowski from the Heritage Foundation joins us. I'm Lawrence Coletti, and this is Legal Talk Today. All right, welcome back, listeners. Always great to be here with you. As you heard in our intro, today's show is about what could possibly happen from a case recently heard by the Supreme Court on November 30th. And as of the date of this recording, there's been no decision in that case, Trump versus New York. But whether or not it's decided, there could be a big impact on how we apportion House seats in Congress going forward. But before I get over my skis, let me introduce our expert guest who's going to help us with this topic today, Hans von Spa. Koski, Manager of Election Law Reform Initiative and Senior Legal Fellow for the Mies Center for Legal and Judicial Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Welcome to the show, sir. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, thank you for coming on. And, uh, you know, Hans, I've been following this case for a while in the uh, kind of the legal publications. I I saw it pop up a couple of months ago and I thought, you know, that's going to be a big one for the year. And of course, you know, the election happens and then the uh, election challenge is going on. And so I think it's been getting drowned out in the media cycle. But uh, I thought it was pretty important. We even did a two part series on the census, which listeners, if you haven't had a chance, I highly recommend you go to that. It kind of walks through the, the technical part. And I'll put that in the show notes for today. But but, uh, you know, Hans, just to kind of get us started, a quick primer, you know, could you give us a quick explanation on how the census count affects apportionment of House seats in Congress? Sure. Uh, and what this case is about is that the president sent a directive to the Census Bureau and the Department of Commerce that when they send him their population numbers for apportionment purposes do not include illegal aliens. So it's not that the census isn't counting everyone in the United States. They are. But the population that's used for apportionment, which is separate, that will be sent to the president, uh, Trump is saying, I don't want you to include illegal aliens in that base population. So that means that when they apply the apportionment formula, and what this means is determining how many members of the House of Representatives each state has based on their population, illegal aliens would not be included in that population. And that's what the lawsuit is about a number of states like New York, mostly states that are sanctuary states, have sued saying, well, the president can't do that. He can't exclude illegal aliens from the population used for apportionment. Okay, so I've got a couple of follow-ups on that. And just historically speaking, illegal immigrants have been used in that census count and have been applied towards that reapportionment of uh, house seats. And so in that formula, though, uh, you know, legally in the country for nationals with work visas on a temporary basis and foreign students also legally in the country, but on a shorter term basis. Have they also been included in that count? No. In fact, um, it, it's kind of odd or I actually would say bizarre. None of the states are challenging what's called the residence criteria that the Census Bureau has laid out. And this is the same as prior censuses, which is they do not include aliens who were here legally, but just temporarily, such as tourists and folks that are here to conduct business. So they're they're not included in the count for apportionment, which is why it seems to me it's kind of odd for these states to say, well, it's okay to exclude aliens who were here legally, but temporarily, but it's not okay to exclude illegal aliens who were here illegally, but also really 
temporarily, temporarily because they can be picked up at any time and deported from the U.S. Well, I remember some of these legal issues coming up uh, quite a while ago. And so, Hans, could you steer us through the the procedural history of this case and how we got to the uh, front doorstep of the Supreme Court? Sure. Well, folks may recall that uh, last year uh, there was actually a, a lawsuit filed over the fact that the Commerce Department was going to reinstate a citizenship question on the census. Now, it, the question would not have asked whether you were here legally or not, simply whether you were a citizen or not. That ended up going all the way to the uh, U.S. Supreme Court. They issued a decision saying that while the president legally could do that and constitutionally could do that, procedurally, the Commerce Department hadn't given a good enough explanation for why they wanted the citizenship question on there. This decision did not come down until the end of June of this year. And by that time, it was too late for them to basically come up with a better explanation and yet get the census forms printed that, of course, had to go out to to everyone. So there's no citizenship question on the census. So what the president did is he directed every executive agency to provide to the Census Bureau all information they have on the citizenship status of the population of the U.S. And the estimates are that um, the federal government has enough information to basically provide that information on virtually everyone in the country, which should actually scare scare a lot of folks (laughs) out of how much information the federal government has about all of us. Yeah, that is pretty terrifying. And so that is uh, always a concern how much they know about you. But uh, what you're talking about is the workaround. And so they basically didn't have the time. And obviously, you know, the census does take, you know, actual time to do it. You know, it's basically a big estimated count. And so what they're doing, and just let me paraphrase and let let me see if I understand it correctly. This workaround, um, the Trump administration has to take that uh, in order to move forward. They have to take that citizenship question off the questionnaire for the census. And then in lieu of that, to substitute, they're calling upon these other federal agencies to supply that number. In effect, they're going to back out that separate number for illegal immigrants. So now you have the full census count, and then you also have an estimation for what you need to remove for factoring for illegal immigrants. So I have that correct? Yeah, you got it. No, you've pegged it exactly right. Okay, well, let's let's move on to the symposium analysis. You you participated on this with SCOTUS blog, and so right. uh, Hans, you made this case that when we factor for reapportionment for house seats, that we should not include illegal immigrants in the country. So you had a, a kind of a multi-factored analysis there. So can you walk us through that? Sure, I, I will. Look, there's not a lot of case law on this, but there is a Supreme Court case from 1992 called Franklin versus Massachusetts, in which Massachusetts was challenging the way certain individuals were going to be counted or not counted in Massachusetts. Um, and what the Supreme Court said in that case is that when, when you are counting the number of inhabitants or the usual residents of a state, you can include some element of allegiance or enduring tie to the place. So what that meant was that, for example, it, it's again, it's okay to not count in a tourist who's here from Germany or elsewhere, because one, they have no element of allegiance to whatever state they're in, right? Their allegiance, their political allegiance is owed to their native country, in this case, Germany. They also have no enduring tie to the state that they may be in because they're only there temporarily as tourists. And so I think if you apply those elements, which the Supreme Court said uh, is okay, 
obviously illegal aliens, one, they have no allegiance to the United States. Their allegiance, again, is to their native countries, their, their political allegiance. And second, they obviously have no enduring tie to wherever they are in the U.S. because they can be picked up at any time and, de and deported and removed from the country. You know, that's the legal analysis. From a policy standpoint, the policy analysis basically boils down to this. Look, if you ask the average American whether you think somebody who's here illegally, like say the Russians, <laughs> or a Russian who maybe was trying to interfere in the election, if they're here illegally, should they be able to vote? Everyone says, well, of course not. If you then say to them, well, do you think they ought to be, be able to make a political contribution of money to someone running for Congress? And again, people say, well, of course not. And then if you ask them, well, should an alien who's here illegally be able to run for Congress as a candidate? They all say, well, of course not. Well, if the answer to all those questions is no, then why in the world would anyone think that we should include them in the population used for apportionment, which basically twists or distorts the political power of the states? Because what it means is that states like California which is a sanctuary jurisdiction and which has the largest number of illegal aliens in the country in the state, will get more members of Congress than other states. And this, this is a, a big deal. The Congressional Research Service actually put out a study a couple of years ago where they said, well, what would have happened if after the 2010 census, instead of using the total population of the U.S. for apportionment, if they, in fact, they had used the citizen population, what would have happened? Well, California would, would have lost four members of Congress. Texas, Florida, and New York each would have lost one member of Congress because they have large numbers of aliens there. Seven states would have gained a member of Congress, from Louisiana all the way up to Virginia and places like Oklahoma. So, if you include aliens in the apportionment, you are distorting the House of Representatives and aliens, especially those here illegally, they have no right, no legal right to representation in, in Congress. My next question that I wanted to ask you had to do with uh, diluting the vote value of the legal citizen. And so I think yes. you're right over the target there, but I want to say it a different way. And maybe you can provide a little bit more of a more of a layman's explanation. So it sounds like what you're saying is that if you live in a state like California, like I do, that has a, a relatively high illegal immigrant population, at least uh, by all of the accounts that we know, on a vote by vote basis, it actually has California compared to another state that has less illegal immigrants, you know, just on a per capita basis, vote to vote, you know, influence to influence has more say, more sway in Congress than a state that has less illegal immigrants. Is that what you're saying? That is exactly right. Yes. Okay. So when I was reading your uh, your analysis, uh, Hans, you know, I had a couple of bullet points that popped up in my head and I wanted to run this by you to see how your analysis uh, handles those. And so the first thing that popped up in my head is that, you know, we have a pretty long practice now of educating illegal immigrant children in our country. And of course, that comes from a case called Plyer v. Doe, uh, the Supreme Court case that 
by law, we have to provide this at taxpayer expense, K through 12, an education for illegal immigrant children, regardless of the uh, citizenship of their parents, regardless of their citizenship status. And the, the second bullet point that jumped at it at me was that, you know, we do have precedent and things that we're comfortable with uh, in law. And so historically, we have always used illegal immigrants for that count for apportionment. So how does your analysis challenge those two bullet points? Well, I, I will tell you that I I think the Supreme Court decided that decision wrong, the, the, the decision on education that you talked about. I think they just created, <laughs> they created that right out of nothing. Uh, there's, there's nothing in the Constitution that requires that. But even assuming, you know, the case is there, it's valid, it, it's precedent. The fact that if a, a child who is here illegally has to be educated does not change the fact that they can be picked up at any time by the the federal government and deported. I mean, uh, that's that's just the immigration law the way the way it is. So again, uh, they don't fit the elements the Supreme Court has said can be included, which is having an enduring tie or having some element of political allegiance to the state where they live, because a child who's here illegally, say from France or Germany, their political allegiance is to the German and French government. And, and to just illustrate this very quickly, look, if we were to reimpose a draft, that child who's here illegally when they turn 18 could not be drafted because they're not a U.S. citizen. Their political allegiance, they do not owe to the U.S. government, so they could not be drafted. Look, we have a lar- far larger number of aliens in the country illegally today than we've ever had in our entire history. And so in prior times, it really didn't make that much difference that aliens who were here illegally were included in, in apportionment. But these days, it makes a very big difference. You know, the official estimates that you get from the Department of Homeland Security are between 11 and 12 million aliens here illegally. There are some private organizations that have estimated that it could be as high as 20 to 25 million. Like I said, that's far larger than ever before. So it's it's today that it's really making a difference in the representation in, in the House. All right, last question for you, Hans. And so uh, your colleague, Amy Howe at uh, SCOTUS blog, she wrote an article and it was titled, Argument Analysis, Justices seem inclined to put off ruling on merits of Trump's plan for census data. And so in that article, she seemed bearish uh, as to whether or not the Supreme Court would actually make a decision in this case. And so do you share that same attitude or are you a little bit more bullish on the Supreme Court making a decision? Well, I think she may be right about it. Although the one thing I will tell folks is that often people who judge how a court a case is going to come uh, be decided out of the U.S. Supreme Court based on the questioning are often very wrong. (laughs) But I do think the justices did express their concern over the fact that they didn't think the case was yet ripe to make a decision. And the reason for that, apparently from the questioning, was that, you know, these numbers, the, the Census Bureau is supposed to finish all of this up by the end of December. And apparently, there was some doubt expressed as to whether, one, they would be able to actually do this by the end of September, uh, sorry, December, get all the numbers calculated, and two, 
whether or not they'll be able to get sufficient information through the administrative process, through all of the other executive department records that we were talking about previously, to be able to actually come up with solid, verifiable figures on the number of illegal aliens in the various places around the country. So I think they were saying, we really should, perhaps shouldn't make a decision about this until those two issues are resolved. So I, I think, as Amy Howe says, that, that that's definitely a possibility. Well, Hans, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really great having you on. Sure. Well, like I said, I appreciate it. And uh, it's okay for me to wish everyone a, a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays since we're coming close to that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I, I'll join you. So Happy Holidays, everybody. And thank you, listeners, for tuning in. We'll cite our sources for this episode on our website, LegalTalkNetwork.com, so you can read for yourself. And also thank you to our team, Molly McDonough, our producer, and of course, the LTN production crew for always doing such a terrific job. This has been Legal Talk Today. I'm Lawrence Clutty. Have a great day, everybody. Thank you.